Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Welcome back, and thank you for listening in to Season 2 of The Bee Podcast. Today, we meet with Brittany Emmel. She shares with us her story of depression slowly sinking in, the suicidal thoughts that consumed her, the realization of addiction creeping in, and the desire to break free. Brittany developed an understanding of emotional freedom technique, and it truly changed her life. Honing in on skills that she developed as a teen, Brittany breaks free from the overwhelming anxiety, depression, and addiction, and finds her redemption. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. I'm with Brittany. Brittany, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I am so good. I'm so glad you're here and you're going to talk to us about the things. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So Brittany, go ahead and talk to us about who you are. Give us a short, lovely introduction of all the wonderful things that you are. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm Brittany Ummel and uh, I grew up in Tumble, Iowa. I moved to Oxford, Michigan just about three years ago. Uh, Until that point, I had always lived in Iowa. Um, And currently, career-wise, I'm a benefit advocate for Wilshire Benefits Group. So we kind of manage employer-sponsored insurance. And I'm also a master energy medicine yoga teacher, which is super fun and awesome to be able to inspire um, people and be able to get people's bodies moving. And then... um, I got married last year during the pandemic. So that's kind of been like the excitement of my life right now is um, having this full honeymoon in full pandemic mode. Uh, Michigan's been pretty locked down. So it's been uh, me and my brand new husband just hanging out, playing tons of board games. Um, So some hobbies that we do are board games. Our entire basement is board games. (laughs) (laughs) anything um, from role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons to physical board games like Terraforming Mars, just a couple of fun, fun games. That's typically what we end up doing with our time and um, also call myself a modern day witch. So that's kind of just a quick little bit about me. Yeah. And I'm excited to dive into all of that. Okay, girlfriend. So let's talk about the beginning. So your youth, what were some of your favorite childhood memories as you grew? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to take you back a little bit um, and kind of set the, set the space. So my grandma has an acreage and on her property was a trailer. And that's where I grew up is on a trailer in a trailer on my grandma's property. Um, We lived there for most of my childhood, like the young, young years. Uh, And then I think we moved when I was maybe 10. It was definitely older uh, elementary school when we moved uh, away from her property. And so most of my childhood memories are going outdoors and playing with my grandma (laughs) <laughs> as yeah. as that kind of sounds but just no like, that sounds absolutely beautiful and perfect yes I love it yeah uh and and so we always gardened and I had this awesome sand pit and I would just make all of these strange concoctions so even when I was small and young I pretended to be a witch because that- I think we all did right, <laughs> right? we all did like potions I thought that I could control the wind Brittany yes. I thought I thought I could control the wind right? with all of my potions, with my, with my, with my food coloring and my rocks and my sticks and my leaves. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And my glass balls. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. those are like, um, pretty much my biggest memories are being outside gardening with her and then taking those flowers and making little concoctions and potions. Um, and then my other like big set of memories from childhood. So my parents divorced when I was nine months old. So I never knew like my mom and dad together ever. And they always lived in separate towns. 
Um, and so I would always look forward to going to my dad's house because he always played board games with me. So I loved playing like Monopoly and Payday. Like, so it's funny, like literally my childhood is still who I am today because mm -hmm. now I'm still doing all these witchy things and I'm still playing board games all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but those are my biggest memories. Yeah. And I love that you have that connection with your grandma because I, I'm assuming, I mean, I, same, same. I was very close with my paternal grandma and, um, yeah, they, she also had a garden, a huge farm. And that was, it was so, it was such a huge part of my, of my childhood. And actually she's the inspiration for creating this podcast. Fun fact. Oh, I love yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, let's talk about your mother did marry then. So what yeah. was kind of, what was life like before that adjustment? So I'll be honest, I don't have like a ton of necessarily memories like okay. before and necessarily like an after. Uh, until I was seven, I was the only child and like literally just at home with my mom, right? There would be like mm -hmm. a guy that would come in and out. Um, specifically, I remember this one that dropped me on my head. Oh, <laughs> You know, those memories <laughs> that just like stick with you, right? It's like one of those four yeah. ridiculous memories that you mm -hmm. remember. That's mm -hmm. what anyway, so, he's so, gone now. So, yeah. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> um, but until I was seven, so I was the only child. It was just me and my mom. Great. And then um, she married at seven and um, was pregnant right away. So I immediately that next year had a brother. And then my dad actually remarried the same year. And so they got pregnant two years later. So all of a sudden I went from like a single child to one of three, not in the same household, but I was no longer a single child in either of my home relationships. From early memories, I did get along with my stepdad, my ex-stepdad. Uh, they've actually since divorced and she's married again. It, it changed very quickly for you then. So then how did, how did those life experiences that you, you had, you know, prior to and afterward kind of shape your self-perception because things did change so, so quickly for you. And then, you know, it wasn't just you anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think I really had any idea in the time frame of like when it was happening of really what was going on. You know what I mean? Um, like, I didn't have any idea what truly was happening. Now that I've done all this self-work, looking back, it's that's when I believe that kind of that loneliness triggered uh, because I went from attention to no longer having the attention, right? I became kind of, uh, how to say that? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah, I just wasn't the center of attention. Well, you're, yeah, you had to share it. <laughs> Yeah. when you hadn't had to share it for, you know, seven years, seven eight yeah. years. I wonder sometimes with kids who, you know, have siblings, like as they're older, they haven't grown up with that, like shared attention. So it's difficult to really transition from that. So I feel like that's really understandable. And you know what, here's the thing. I am the youngest child, Brittany, yeah. and I am a big baby. So I just want to apologize on behalf of all the babies of the family because we do, we demand so much attention. The funny thing is both of my brothers are very much not attention seeking people at all. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny that I have that like perception. Um, so actually like our, our subconscious beliefs are developed by the age of seven. So mm -hmm. then to have this huge, massive change at the age of seven, I think it just did this like total wonky on my psyche of no of for sure yeah absolutely yeah that's it's a big thing it's a big thing not only not only did you know your home did you know the relationship between your mom change it changed you know for you as a as a child so yeah I mean as a child what did you want for your future at that time do you remember <laughs> I wanted to be a teacher <laughs> that was like my thing <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely and you are 
<laughs> which is ironically like not in the sense that I ever thought I would be right like I imagined like this like like an actual teacher right like a school teacher and now it's kind of this morphed uh and a teacher in of its etherical sense of teaching yoga and yeah actually just perfect for the transformation that we're about to go on as we're going to talk here but I wanted to back up and just really truly answer this question that you just asked about you know like how did it kind of morph and shape and like really where did you like where did I see myself for my future and how how this kind of because it's kind of this ball that just like kept getting bigger here and I think that age seven was kind of this catalyst for it and so life after marriage for my mom so my mom my mom marries and family dynamic is great for a while and then middle school high school it becomes volatile it is a volatile house dynamic of yelling all the time and me escaping multiple times of just going to my closet and just shutting myself in and I think that that's it shaped this experience of wanting to escape. So this my, this family dynamic kind of morphed into me wanting to escape. And that kind of set up a scene for the dark days of my life. You know, I'm see, as you're talking, I'm thinking about seeing you in school. And I remember seeing you and you were always, you were, you, you were friends with like the sweet, smart girls. I never, ever would have thought that this was something that you were, you know, going home to. I mean, it, it's just a reminder as an educator, you know, to, yeah. to just like love on, love on everyone, no matter. No matter how bright and shiny they are. <laughs> no matter how bright and shiny and how beautiful their smile is. And so then when did you kind of feel this depression kind of sinking in? Was it during that high school experience where things kind of escalated? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so freshman year of high school was really kind of the beginning of an ultimate kind of shadow that, that came in, um, where I started to actually realize that I was in darkness, right? That um, maybe things weren't really as they should be. Um, there's not really like this specific event or trauma that like really truly happened it was really just like like I said like this morphic ball that yeah. just kept getting bigger and bigger this like snowball feeling of isolation and it just kept building up and um it was actually uh it was actually one of my freshman year um boyfriends that said you need help that like it really like clicked and triggered I said oh well maybe I do need some help. <laughs> and yeah. that was really what kind of, um, like kind of made me realize that I was in some darkness and that maybe this was not okay and not what I was supposed to be feeling on a daily basis. Because were you at this point just feeling numb? So I had been feeling suicidal for quite some time. I had okay. been making kind of some lists of like ways to myself and um I as I laugh now because it was just comical so <laughs> I had tried to um take some scissors and cut myself and it was so painful I just looked at myself and went, what am I doing like this is yeah. silly and um but at the same time like I wanted it to happen so bad so that I could escape from everything that was happening mm-hmm. um and uh thank goodness that the keys to the gun case were locked up because I would look for them all the time oh my Um, gosh Brittany but I couldn't go through with it because I knew that somebody would have to clean it up so you were thinking so even in even in that space you were thinking of other people so did this depression that you felt seem to be like a slow burn that just got bigger or did it kind of already I mean just kind of engulf you yeah, absolutely. It was, I would call it a slow burn for sure. Um, because it just kept like the darkness just kept getting deeper and deeper. Uh, and then I don't know if you remember, but our freshman year, we did lose somebody to suicide. 
and I reached out to somebody close to me and I said, I'm going to end up like that person. And that's when I knew that it was big at that point, right? That I had admitted, oh, wow, no, this is real. Like there's a, there's a fine line that you like, don't want to admit that you're really going through it. Like there, there really is something wrong. Like you kind of just escape. I had just escaped, escaped, escaped. And at that point it became real. You were aware of how you were feeling at that point. At that point, absolutely. Prior, prior to that, I don't know that I was truly aware. I mean, I, I think deep down I knew, but at some point that was like the, uh, that was the trigger point for me of, no, this is real. The way I'm feeling is real. And that's the real repercussions of, cause it was all theory until then. Right. Until that actually until someone did it a, and it was tangible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was what did it for me. I said, oh, oh, wow. No, that that's not right. Like I, this, the way I'm feeling should not be the way I'm feeling. It, it, yeah. it shouldn't be this way. And there's got to be something better than this. So that kind of triggered you to getting help or, um, you were, you were questioning yourself then is, is that yeah. So, so that kind of led into the questions and then it was, I, I don't know the time frame necessarily after that event happened that it triggered me to reach out. So me saying, I'm going to end up like that person to one of my closest people was my reach out for help. What happened was that person didn't say anything to anybody else. And that was my goal was for that person to reach out to kind of circumvent and get that, that help. Right. And that didn't happen. So then I went into a deeper depression, of course, and the suicidal thoughts continued to happen. Uh, Then that's when the person that I was with had said, no, you, you need help. You got to go get help. Um, they didn't really know what was going on, but I had lashed out in other ways. And they, that specific person said, no, you need to go get help. Something's wrong. And that's when I finally went to my mom and said, hey, mom, this is what's going on. And of course, she immediately gets me the help that I need. I go to therapy. Mm-hmm. I start taking medication, you know, getting better little by little. Did you ever experience that negative self-talk or like bashing of yourself as you were kind of going through this? Not in that way. Um, For me, it was more self-defeating mind talk. I'm not good enough to get better. So it wasn't necessarily like, why can't I snap out of this kind of thing? It was more like, I don't deserve to be better. Oh, oh, Brittany. Yeah. Those, those thoughts right? Those repeating thoughts. So why didn't you think, I mean, obviously depression, anxiety has no reason. I mean, it does have a reason, but like, as far as our self-talk is concerned, like the reason behind it, do you know why in your brain you thought you didn't deserve to get better? So that is all coming back to self-love. I did not feel loved to no fault of those that were close to me by any means. Yeah. Right. Um, they did everything that they could to love me fully. And even though they poured their hearts in, there was a barrier that was mm-hmm. impenetrable. Uh, because what I think is that I didn't love myself enough to be able to even accept love from anybody else if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, it does. I didn't love myself. There was a shield that allowed me to not feel love from anyone. And so that's kind of what it came back to for me is this self-love. Did you feel that it was like inescapable? Like it was, you had talked about how I don't deserve this. Did you ever at least hope? Was there hope involved? There always has to be some kind of a hope, right? Because mm-hmm. if there was no hope, I, I wouldn't, I would have gone through with my plans, right? I I would have found the keys. I would have taken it that next level, but there's some sort of higher connection, higher something 
that kept me tethered in some kind of a way, whether I called it hope in those moments, I don't think I would have ever called it hope, but looking back, I would definitely call it hope. There, there was something innate within me that said, no, there is something better. There is something more It's coming. You have work to do, right? There was this yeah. innate wisdom that was happening that uh, kept me tethered to the physical world. And yeah. uh, so thankful that it did. I'm so thankful as well. Yeah. I mean, but these are, these are, I mean, heavy things that are so common though. These, these thoughts and these, I mean, we were just talking about how common all of this is and, but how like shameful it is to speak about it and how, you know, because our society is about how we have everything all together, which is complete bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> nobody got it together ain't so, nobody got it together nobody got it together <laughs> so like I mean I'm so glad that you're sharing your story because it is I think more people are going to find it comforting than not um so then as far as okay so you so you're getting um the help that you need because your mom is a total rock star and was like yep baby let's get you what you need And so she gets you the help that you need. And um, did you experience, were you able to identify triggers at that point? Not necessarily, no. Um, And I don't know that I really had necessarily triggers at that point. Now looking back, I can kind of see what the triggers were that kind of really pushed me over the edge to go Mm -hmm. kind of back down to the to the shadow place (laughs) yeah um but no I had no idea what those triggers were um especially in high school I had no idea even in college I had no idea it was not until my final rock bottom that I really was able to even start to look back and see any trend or trigger moments yeah and isn't it crazy retrospect how, you know, those things you're like, oh, mm-hmm, I can identify that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. really like, oh yeah. <laughs> these strict like points in time. You're like, oh yeah, there's that cliff. There it is. Yeah, there's the cliff. There's the cliff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then when, I mean, okay. So then high school comes and goes and do you feel like by the time that you graduate, you have a good handle on things and it's manageable? I was in an okay place graduating. Uh, As we'll see, (laughs) next comes some of the darkest of the dark days. Uh, Mm -hmm. What uh, I think it's Louise Hay calls the darkest days. So those are are upon Mm -hmm. us. (laughs) Yeah. So then, okay, so you, you graduate high school, go Bulldogs, and then go Bulldogs. So then where do you go after that? Yeah, so I go to Simpson College. So, um, so I, I said that my parents were divorced. So my dad actually lived in Indianola, Iowa, and um, Simpson College is in Indianola, Iowa. And my choices were either to go to ISU with my friends or to go to Simpson. I had a better scholarship and I had a place to live, and it felt maybe a little bit more comfortable. So I moved to uh, in with my dad sophomore year not freshman year uh because you have to live on the in the dorms for freshman year in simpson so i went to simpson and (laughs) funny thing trigger (laughs) oh change change is my trigger change okay yeah which is so relatable right (laughs) yeah yes So um, get to college and freshman year, I get in with a crowd. Now I had, I had dabbled with drugs in uh, high school, uh, just a little bit. So I'd been introduced, but never really did, did much. Right. It was just uh, a thing that happened sometimes. And then college happened and uh, got introduced to some friends and uh, became more and more and ensued some 
depressive thoughts once again. I felt was feeling again very alone and everything's new. You're at college, everything's new. And you want to make a good impression with people, right? When did addiction really develop a role in your life? When would you say that it was something that became a regular thing for you? Yeah, absolutely. So addiction really became a part of my life sophomore year of high school or of college. Sophomore year of college is really when it became consuming, an all-consuming thing, right? So would you say that anxiety played a role in that development and the change that you were experiencing and the, you know, the friendships that you made? Did you feel like, you know, I had, I, I mean, these are the people that I'm friends with and it, you know, it, it might seem overwhelming to create a new friend group or what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that I would have labeled it anxiety at the time, uh, but now understanding what anxiety is, absolutely 100%. It was anxiety. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be, I wanted to have friends, right? I wanted to be the college person. I wanted to enjoy the parties. I wanted to live that college life that we see portrayed in movies and really be that the anxiety of <laughs> trying to do all the things, right? I tried to play volleyball at Simpson. Turns out I am not college level athletic at all. <laughs> uh, so I am not high school athletic. So <laughs> you have one up on me. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> and then to be able to study, I was always really good at school in high school, right? I didn't have to study. It was, it came easy. Get to college. I failed my first test. The anxiety of failing. I didn't, I had never failed, never even really gotten a C or anything below. Like, and then to fail a test, my first freshman class, epic failure of myself, right? So it kind of just sends you into this next level of darkness, right? It's another cliff, right? All of these changes. I was once really good and now I'm not good at all. And the anxiety of all of that just taking place all at once. So, I mean, so relatable. So when did you feel or know that it was getting out of control for you? So freshman year, I meet a group of friends and really hit them, hit it off with them. Right. Um, so we're just, you know, we're just smoking weed. I mean, it's nothing, it's nothing crazy at this point, but with addictive thought patterns, with addictive behavior patterns that I've always had kind of a subtle underlying for my life, it immediately became a problem. Uh, so I was, I was stoned all the day, all, all the days, every day. All, all the, the days, day. every day, all the days, <laughs> every day, all day, uh, just high. And, and I know that weed in of itself is not addictive, right? But it's those patterns. It's mm -hmm. really the behavior patterns that get developed mm -hmm. along with that. And the people that I was with at the time, they were more of a party group and they started bringing around pills like Adderall and painkillers like the Oxy and Hydrocodone and uh, the Benzos, Benzodiazepines. And that's when the addiction was in full force. So I'm stoned all the time. I'm trying new pills and think <laughs> the universe that I got sicker than a dog when I took Oxy because had I not, my life story would be a completely different story, to be honest. Yeah. I, it, I, it, it would be a completely different story. And so I, I started taking Adderall a lot. And that's really kind of when it got out of control. Um, pills got introduced. I remember clearly and distinctly seeing a pill get crushed up and snorted for the first time and thinking to myself, is this really where I'm at in my life? Is, is this really what's going on? And right. Cause if you're just swallowing them, it's not as, it's not as, you know, yes, exactly. I mean, it's like, it's like an ibuprofen. <laughs> like, right. you know, I'm taking, I got a fever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then you take it to that next level and it, it kind of, it kind of hits you and you're like, Oh, Oh, this is where I'm at. Okay. Um, 
And I think that was kind of the trigger of realizing where I was at in my life and understanding that it's to this level of out of control. Among all of this smoking and drug haze, I started to develop physical pain uh, in my uterus, um, what later turns out to be endometriosis. Yeah. Uh, so I was going through all this pain and the drugs were an excuse to escape from that pain, right? Sure, yep. And so I think that's really yeah. what truly snowballed it into what it became and uh, started doing Adderall all the time. And then, you, then you're not really sleeping, you're not really eating. I lost a shit ton of weight. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, because well, yeah, it's basically meth, right? I mean. Right, it's an amphetamine, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So then did you find yourself I mean, as far as your academics were concerned, were you still maintaining? Were you excelling? Were you falling below? What did it look like for you? I'm a very high functioning uh, addict. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) I mean, go you. (laughs) So uh, thank goodness I was smart enough to be able to maintain my grades. Um, and, you know, I did have to drop out of one class uh, just because I, I, I couldn't keep up and that happened later on. But <laughs> yeah, I was still able to graduate with honors and it was. <laughs> but okay, that also speaks to, I mean, kind of my next question, how you can easily fly under the radar with those who are closest to you. I mean, those people that you're, you know, partying with and like drinking with and doing drugs with, like they, they know they know what you're doing, but like those people that you're, you know, were close with or are supposed to be close with, did they have any idea of what was going on? To my knowledge, no. <laughs> I mean, even to this day, I guess I've never point blank actually asked anybody uh, kind of from that time period of my life, like before that. Um, I'm not very like super close with anybody from high school anymore. Um and so I never really asked anybody if, if they ever knew or noticed. I mean, I was obviously living at home with my dad, but he didn't know me before that, right? I didn't live with him on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. he didn't know what my personality was before or during or after, right? Like there was no linear connection for him mm-hmm. to be able to make. So then when did you become aware that like, this is a problem because you graduated with it, right? Like you were like, like you said, high functioning, like I graduated with honors. So sophomore year. So it didn't last. My, my addiction was not for a super long ex- ex- extended time period. I was trying to think about that earlier today of what actually, what year it was. And I think it was 20, it's either 2010 or 2011. So it was either my sophomore or junior year. It's kind of all a blur. And (laughs) as you can tell. (laughs) Right, right. I also have experienced that. (laughs) It's kind of a blur. I don't really know. Drugs don't help with the blur. (laughs) Drugs don't help with the blur. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But there is one defining moment. And I I was on Adderall. Uh, I looked myself in the mirror. And it was almost this outer, outer body experience. And I looked into my soul is basically what had happened. And there's this voice saying that you're the only one who can save yourself. You're the only one who can save yourself. And I was like looking in this mirror and I'm just crying, right? I'm Because I know that the place that I'm at, I know in that moment, that's my darkest day. Literally, I I know it. And I didn't even know at the time, like, but I knew. And I looked into myself and knew that I was the only one who could save myself. And I'm so thankful for that day. It was my absolute rock bottom. I'd been on a binger, hadn't slept, hadn't eaten. And I have this experience, this spiritual out-of-body experience that um, triggers a new journey of self-help. When did you become aware of this help? Yeah, absolutely. So this is probably one of my favorite parts of 
my life. <laughs> yeah. uh, so in high school, so I found out about emotional freedom technique in high school, actually. So I'm pretty sure it was freshman year. Possibly, it couldn't have been freshman year. It was some year. It was some year. Some year. It's all, it, it, it's all a blur. It all happened so fast. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> some year in high school, a random substitute teacher in a math <laughs> class in a math no class. one who was it you know i have no idea who the future is dang it we have to contact them but whoever <laughs> they are and if they ever listen to this uh podcast i gotta just say thank you yeah. so the, the substitute teacher in this math class casually says look into eft it will change your life that's it <laughs> so i go okay, well, how's this EFT? And I look it up, emotional freedom technique. So it's basically tapping on meridians, which are energetic pathways of your body to reroute the neurons, uh, the neuro neuropathic, whatever that word is, that, that neuron word <laughs> of the brain. Sure, yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> yep. Perfect. Uh, so that, so basically rewires you and it reduces anything that you're feeling, any emotion that you're feeling. So anxiety or loneliness or anger, and it uh, diminishes that. And so <laughs> this, this high school substitute teacher changed my life. I can pinpoint the exact moment that my life took a fork. I love that. It's pretty cool. It's, it's, um, yeah, I love, I love that moment of my life. So then what was your first experience with it? How did you know that it worked for you when you tried it? Yeah. Or when did you try it? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I remember in my basement, <laughs> mm -hmm. dial up internet, right. Researching this. Yes. <laughs> yes. MSN messenger. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. so I look up this EFT. Basically there's like this free download that you can get. And so I'm like sitting in the basement, trying it out, trying a couple of things. And I really immediately kind of noticed the, my anxiety and my like loneliness just kind of dissipating in just a little bit of a way. I said, like, wow, okay, that's pretty cool. And so I don't know if you, you're, you're familiar with EFT. Maybe I should back up and just kind of talk about what EFT is, emotional freedom yeah. technique. Yeah, so, let's do that. So basically you say something of along the lines of you identify your emotion that you're feeling and you say, even though I'm having this anxiety, I deeply and completely accept myself. And you're tapping what's called a karate point, uh, which is like the side of your palm like the side of your hand, that fleshy side of your palm uh, on the side seam, pinky side. And you say this three times through, even though I have this anxiety, I deeply and completely accept myself. Even though I have this anxiety, I deeply and completely accept myself. And then you tap on different areas of uh, the body. So like the inside of the eyebrow, the outside of the eyebrow, underneath the eye, underneath the nose, underneath the bottom lip, and then just underneath the collarbone. And then underneath the side seam, um, underneath the armpits on the side seam. And you kind of go through this uh, until your scale of like one to 10, if you started out at 10 and you go down to the lowest number that you can get on that scale. And so I'm doing this and practicing and my numbers are going lower. And so I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is something. And then I had one defining experience with it where I knew, holy shit, this is something that really, truly works. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with Junior Miss, the Junior Miss competition. Yes. Yeah. I think everybody in Southeast <laughs> Iowa it knows Junior Miss. Right. <laughs> so when I was a little girl, we hosted Junior Miss. And I always said that I was, I was going to be one when my time came. So Which is a, um, a scholarship opportunity for <laughs> young women in high school right? Yes. Scholarship yes. opportunity for young it's women. A scholarship right. opportunity. Scholarship opportunity. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Uh, so I decided to, to do it my senior year. Uh, and so a part of it is that you have to have a talent, right? And 
I had no talent as an athletic girl. I didn't really do much. I didn't have musical talent or anything like that. And so I decided to do a reading called Rendersella, which, um, so it's the story of Cinderella, but all the words are kind of scrambled. So it's like tons upon a wine and a corn funk tree. There was a beautiful girl, rural <laughs> named Rendersella, et cetera. Yeah. And so the dress recital uh, comes up. It's my portion of the talent. I go on a freaking bomb. Like I can't, I go out there. I can't remember anything. It was terrible. So this is dress, dress rehearsal, right? And then, so the next night is- Rest rehearsal. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Render cello. <laughs> Rest rehearsal. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> yes. <laughs> so the next night goes on and I'm super afraid that I'm going to like bomb this right and so I'm like what can I do and trying to like pump myself up for it and I remember EFT I'm like oh I wonder if that could work for like stage fright and so in the wing I'm doing the EFT I'm tapping on the body lowering my stage fright I go out onto the stage and I absolutely nailed it nailed it like didn't miss a beat my cadence was on point I get off the stage and I was like holy shit this works uh and so that was kind of a path that opened up to my brain to some of these alternate healings right these alternate mm -hmm. ways of healing because I was like whoa if I could just do that what else am I capable of of mm -hmm. like fixing myself um and so that was really like my first taste of it yeah. Yeah. So then you had experienced that in high school and you had realized that it worked. Then how did it kind of assist you or kind of follow you into this, you know, dark part of your life as far as college is concerned, including addiction? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> it's funny, like you find an awesome cool technique that really helps you in the moment and then you're better and you forget about it. And then you get bad again, and then you remember again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in your darkest so day. So familiar. You remember. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I do have a toolbox. Oh, there is something that um, maybe I can help myself, right? So I have this moment that we just talked about of the self-realization, looking myself in the mirror, seeing this soul, and that's when it triggers, okay, I, I really am the only person that can help myself right? I have to make this choice to help myself. Mm -hmm. And that's when I remember these toolkits, right? So I, I write a letter, <laughs> my, my traditional uh, reach out for help. I write a letter, slide it into a professor's door, counselor calls. And so go through that whole rigmarole again, beautiful, beautiful time, get back on meds, get the therapy uh, and go to rehab for uh, outpatient rehab for my addiction. And <laughs> I realized while I'm at this rehab that I know things that are better than what they're teaching me. I have EFT in my back pocket. I'm like, oh, obviously I need to just pull this back out. And I had uh, just gotten introduced to yoga. It's like, oh, okay. I'm going to move my body and I'm going to do this EFT and I'm going to see what happens and see what happens. <laughs> so I saw yeah. what happened. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, and it was good. It was great. It was, it was, it was beautiful. Um, you know, I, uh, the rehab was good because it kicked me off the drugs. Right. And, uh, got me cleaned up, cut ties with the people that I was hanging out with and really just kind of retreated from life to take a moment to check back in and clean up and clean up my mind, clean up my body, clean up all the areas of the life. And yeah. 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 Which is, I mean, which you want to do, I mean, because you've essentially been, you've already been on something to help you kind of regulate your mood and then you're on another. And so it was, did you feel like it was, which I, I do not want for anyone to like hear this and think like, you know, drugs to regulate your moods are bad. Like I, I don't want for anyone to think that. Um, but, you know, having that in, like you said, in your back pocket, like knowing, moving my body, being intentional about my thought processes um, 
And if that can help you, I think that that, you know, and, and, and allow you to remove yourself from an extra chemical is wonderful. Oh, absolutely. It was, um, and, and I definitely agree with your message. I mean, for me, there was a time and place for medication and, yeah, yeah. uh, I don't know if I could have done it without the medication too. Right. Right. You know? Right. Um, so there's a time and place for that. Absolutely. And it depends on each person's journey. And, you know, mine, mine did start out with the medication and the therapy, and then I was able to kind of take it into my own direction with yoga, started moving and going to these classes and, um, feeling these happy thoughts. <laughs> That's the best way yeah. I can say it is happy thoughts. I said, wow, okay, this, this feels good. And then I was doing my EFT and kind of rewiring my brain once again to kind of get rid of these addictive thoughts, addictive patterns and um, changing my life one day at a time. And that's really what it takes, you know, one day at a time, like just take, like literally just taking it one day at a time. Literally one. So then (laughs) for real, So then how would you say that this has changed the way in which you live your life? In every single possible way that it could change has changed. (laughs) My, my thought process has changed. My daily living patterns changed. My diet changed. My physical movement of my body changed. The biggest, most profound change that happened was this development of self-love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really what happened is this beautiful awareness that just became more and more prominent every single day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, became spiritual. I'd never really had a connection to any sort of God or any sort of religion. Uh, we were religious growing up, but I'd never really had a connection to any of the teachings and then this yoga and EFT really kind of broadened my awareness my thinking mind into sort of this other realm this ethereal realm of possibility and emotion you know we 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 grow up and um we don't talk a lot about emotion or at least my household definitely didn't talk about emotion school didn't talk about emotion and so I didn't really know what to do with emotion and so it's learning this kind of self-language the self-love language with my own emotions and body and life that really has changed who I am completely I'm not the same person that I was when I was in the high school or college I am the same person as I was when I was a child, which is kind of ironic and fun and cool. Kind of like full circle. Yeah, it is completely full circle, uh, which is, you know, the beauty of it, going back to roots and nature and uh, healing yourself, which is really awesome. You have found EFT and you are practicing yoga and what, so, so specifically what practices have you taken up or skills that you've honed in order to learn more about yourself? So my first was obviously EFT and then yoga, uh, that was through college and then graduated college and, uh, 2016, I actually went to Costa Rica with no intention of becoming a yoga teacher while in Costa Rica. I was on this permaculture kind of self-discovery walkabout, (laughs) went solo traveling for three months backpacking in Costa Rica. That's so cool. Can I just say, (laughs) I think that's so cool. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was life-defining 100%, right? Like it was another fork in the road of where's my life going to go? And (laughs) I ended up becoming a yoga yoga teacher in Costa Rica. Uh, Not my plan by any means. Ended up at a place that was offering a teacher training. I said, sure, why not? And uh, so I became a yoga teacher. And that's really what like was the catalyst for a whole bunch of additional learning, right? So I learned about meditation and the power of meditation there. And I learned about this expansive universe that we're energetic beings living in this energetic world. And it really was just this kickstart for even further self-healing and 
self-awareness. I found tarot while I was there, tarot readings. Uh, one of the gals was had a deck. The I actually own the deck now because I was like, oh, I need that deck. It was my first tarot deck that I was introduced to. So, And then I started to find out about essential oils and the power of scent and how applying uh, lavender oil to your feet can be extremely relaxing um, or langling for uh, anxiety. And so I started learning about these essential oils and started using essential oils. And then I took a training on Reiki, which is a Japanese energy healing form. And that was really cool, uh, being able to move energy through the body to release any emotional, energetic blockages. And then <laughs> there's all, all of these different trainings. <laughs> right. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Right. So then crystals and amethyst and how that can open up your energy to love. And uh, I'm sitting here looking at my altar of all, all of the different crystals, which is just a small assortment of those that are in my like witch's closet over here. And my sage, right? I learned about saging and smudging to kind of rid the negative energies that are surrounding you, those negative thought patterns that are surrounding you. And then to top it all off, I, in 2018, I find energy medicine yoga and energy medicine yoga. I went to a free 30 minute class at the yoga studio that I was taking classes at uh, and, and now teaching because I'd become a certified yoga teacher and she started tapping. She started tapping on the body. I said, a whole hold up. I need, I need to know all about this. I said, you take this tapping and you put it into yoga. Tell me more. Uh, and so I went to the first training and then fell in love. I said, no, this is amazing. I, I have to know this. So you're taking energy medicine techniques and putting it into a yoga flow. I have to teach this. I have to, I have to share this with the world. Uh, because it took two of the things that helped me immensely, yeah. right? Yeah, the, FT, right. the tapping and then the movement of the body, this mindfulness mm-hmm. practice. And so in 2020, just last year, I graduated with my master's. In, uh, so I'm a master energy medicine yoga teacher. I went through a 300 hour training. Uh, so now I am a master energy medicine yoga teacher. Which That's is, so cool. Yeah, super fun, super cool. Um, and it, it is constantly a daily journey of learning more, consuming spiritual teachers, consuming information. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. I, love, I mean, just thinking about how, you know, as we are children, we are really kind of helpless to our situation We're you know, and then as we get older, we still have this trauma, but we don't know what to do with it. And then, you know, as we, you know, dive further and further into ourselves, we're aware, we could become aware of these things and, you know, our trauma and how to help ourselves and, you know, heal ourselves. And I like just listening to your story is, it's so helpful you know, like retrospect, I constantly tell my kids about how your world will get bigger. I, I say that all the time. I'm like, listen, your world will get bigger. I promise. Because, you know, right now, like as, as we are children, our world is so small and it's so hard to see what's out, you know, beh- out beyond our third grade classroom or our eighth grade classroom or, you know, it's hard to see that. And I, I, so I just, and, but it's hard because they can't like your world will get bigger. I promise it'll get bigger, but but I love that. I love, I love that. I love that you are an example of how, you know, things can get bigger and it, it, it doesn't always have to feel like it's heavy and crashing down and sometimes, and you know, it, it will sometimes, but here are some tools in order to help with that, you know? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Cause we do feel so helpless. Every single one of us does at some point in our journey. So then who are your support people? My mom, <laughs> it's just my mom. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, that's who it is. It's my mom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's really the only 
person that I really confided in, that I really went to, that was there with me every step of the way, um, you know, and then my dad kind of in college, they, they helped me with the addiction piece of it. But again, it was my mom, right? It was really, really my mom driving all of that at the end of the day. And Moms are the best. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> you don't know it when you're in high school and you're fighting every day and then you're like, Oh yeah. And, um, I got some, a, a beautiful present this year from my mom. She's moving to Michigan. I have not moved oh, lived near my mom since, uh, 2012. So, Oh my gosh, what a gift. Yeah. Best gift ever. So I'm stoked. Is she going to move to Oxford? She's going to move to Oxford. That house fell through, but she will be uh, a solid 26 minutes away from me now. Hey, listen, 26 is better than hours. So yes, <laughs> that's so I'm awesome. Stoked for that. She'll be uh, moving in February. Well, I don't know when this will come out on air, but she's moving in February. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, good. Do you find it easier to reach out to people? Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, I'm in a place that I reached myself for help, right? It's never gotten so bad that I've had to reach out for help ever again after those two really big, massive kind of um, episodes. And even in those episodes, <laughs> looking back, it wasn't that hard to reach out for help for me. I That's knew good. it had to be done. And I knew that was the only way that I could help myself. It always came back to this like message for me of, I was the only one who could help myself, right? And I had to make that reach out point. And I did each time. And it didn't seem so hard in the moment, really. And looking back, it didn't really seem so hard. So, um, yeah, I would say it would not be hard again if, if it were to ever happen again. You know what the, the end result would be. and Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, even though that one time it, it didn't result in the help, but I asked again. <laughs> right, right, right. As you do, like you do. So that's good. Yeah. So what have you learned about yourself in this process of, you know, being a little girl who felt maybe helpless to her circumstances to going to high school and then to college what and 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 now what you know yeah what what have you learned about yourself what have I learned about myself that could be a whole talk in of itself I feel it could. Like. <laughs> um but overarching um what I've learned about myself is that I am worth loving it's important to love myself I deserve joy the only person that can bring that joy to myself is myself. And to be able to see all of the dark and all of the light at the same time, uh, it's, it's really kind of this beautiful thing. And I'm just really thankful to be able to see the vulnerabilities, the weaknesses, the darkness, but also the strength and the highlights and, and the light of it all. Yeah. The but choosing thing. light being aware that there's, you know, there's light and there's dark, it takes a lot of energy to choose joy. It takes a lot of energy to choose light. So I'm proud of you for doing that because it does, it takes a lot of energy. And um, I mean, it's heavy. It's heavy. I mean, when you, when you feel when, you know, as far as anxiety and depression and, you know, taking on the burdens of others, those things are heavy. And so to be able to choose light among those things is not something that is, um, that should be taken lightly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You, you have a, you have a great point. It is a choice. It's a choice to get out of bed. It's a choice to choose a positive emotion over a negative emotion. And it is a choice every single day, every single moment, truly every single moment we're making choices about the reality that we want to create. And yeah, honestly, yep. that's, that's this biggest message and it keeps, keeps just coming up. It's like what I've been studying for the past, like three years is this 
manifestation of this life that we want. You have the power to create your own reality. I have the power to create my own reality. And it starts with each and every choice, right? I wake up, I say, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to get myself into a state of being that is aligned, that is connected. And I'm going to make my next alignment choice. I'm going to go to breakfast and I'm going to make a choice that's aligned with me. I'm going to choose this light side. Sometimes I choose the dark. I choose the things that are not necessarily. Listen, so- if Star Wars was a thing, I took a Facebook quiz. I am the dark side. I, I can't help it, Brittany. <laughs> Facebook quizzes are pretty legit, I think. So, but really, it comes no, back to this yeah. awareness, right? This this observance of the self that that comes with with yoga and meditation. You find this self observance, and you can observe when you're making those not light choices, those dark choices, you observe those and you can choose the next one to be light. And it's each and every choice that gets you to that light, happy, joyful state. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I did. I'm fascinated and I love it. Brittany, I have a couple more questions for you. So what advice would you give or, or what encouragement would you give to someone who is express or um, like experiencing de- despair, like anxiety, depression, or addiction? I am going to preface these answers that um, I am not a healthcare professional. And my next piece of advice could not be advice that is good for some people, um, but maybe it will be good for some. Uh, my message is, is maybe gonna come off harsh or maybe a little brutal, Um, but it's the message that saved me. Only you can save you. Only you can save you. You have to make the choice to get better. You have to make the choice to reach out for help. You have to take the steps to learn the techniques and you have to put in the effort. You have to put in the time, one step at a time, one choice at a time. It, it's not a journey for the fate of heart. It's going to be, it might be challenging, uh, but you, you got to make the choice because only you can make that choice for yourself. And it takes determination, but that first choice, that first step is to choose yourself because you're worth it. Well, and truly no one knows what you're struggling with. I mean, knowing you and granted not being terribly close with you, but knowing you and seeing you and thinking like, gosh, she's she's like, she's just a doll and she's so smart and she seems so happy and, you know, not knowing, I mean, you truly, you are the only one that knows what you struggle with. You are the only one that knows the demons that you fight. So then Brittany, what advice or encouragement would you give to those who are support people for those who are suffering? Like what advice would you give to your mom or your husband per se? don't give up. Don't give up and um, be available when somebody reaches out to you. Even if you think it might be an offhanded comment, be there for that person as you can be. But at the same time, uh, don't put yourself at expense either. Uh, and, And be able to get those resources for that person that you love. It's the best thing that you can do. You can't, you can't take on that burden of somebody else and and take that and heal that for them. It's their own journey and and they do have to take it themselves as tough and hard as that is, as as the person on the other side of that, it's essential because you can't be somebody's light if your light is diminishing by helping that person and just be there in the capacity that you can be and don't take too much of it on. Yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. But, but, but accurate, <laughs> but accurate. Yeah. I know. I know yeah. it's, it's tough. Uh, it, it, it's a tough position to be in, but um, that person needs you in the capacity that they can't, that you can be there. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to, yeah. you have to take care of you at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Brittany, and I am just fascinated by everything that you've spoken of. And I will attach Brittany's, um, you, you teach, you teach yoga via YouTube right now, yeah, right? So I, have, I have a small YouTube channel. <laughs> if you guys want to, uh, anybody that's listening to this, um, do a little bit of the energy medicine, yoga and techniques, um, so it's Be Yoga Connection uh, on YouTube. It's Be Yoga Connection. And then also I have a Facebook page, not too much activity on my Facebook or Instagram, but uh, they are there and I do post randomly. Hopefully as the pandemic ends, we can get back into maybe some, some classes. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to subscribe, subscribe and follow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So I will attach Brittany's information or contact information or Instagram handle and her YouTube uh, channel on in the description. So as you are listening, make sure that if this is something that is interesting to you or that you would like extra support on, I'm certain that Brittany would be willing to listen and assist in the way that she's able. Brittany, thank you so much for being on this episode of the podcast. What a wonderfully insightful and um, relatable journey you have been on. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. It was a, a blessing to be able to share this story and hopefully touch others with, with the power that they have within themselves. Absolutely. Which is a wonderful reminder to have you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Bee podcast. We will catch you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.